Well, hello there. Richard Tubb here, back again with another episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, in today's interview, it's a real special one for me because not only will I be speaking to one of the UK's most successful, long-standing MSP business owners about all things managed services to help you, our dear listener, with your own business, but I'll also be having a conversation with someone who was really influential in my own start in the managed service industry. Now, Mark Taylor founded Chorus in 1999 as a Microsoft-focused MSP based in the UK. Chorus has since evolved into a leading MSSP, or Managed Security Services Provider, providing channel-focused MDR and MXDR services built on the Microsoft security stack, enabling MSPs to rapidly offer advanced managed security services to their clients. Mark currently acts as the Chief Technology Officer, or CTO, for Chorus, and he focuses on keeping up with the ever-increasing pace of change around cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and, well, whatever is next. Mark, it is an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Talk, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to be speaking to you again. As we said, it's been, probably been a little while since we've uh, managed to catch up in person, but uh, it, always a fun conversation. So, yeah, looking yeah. forward to it. We were saying just before we came on air, so you, I, I remember the last time I saw you, it was probably in, in person, that is, was probably pre-pandemic. And I said, thank you to you again. And you said, what for? And you, <laughs> I reminded you when I first started out in this industry, and we're going back to, wow, it's got to be the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And I, I feel like people like yourself and Gareth Brown of SciTech and, and other names, I consider like people who really, went out of their way to give advice experience to me freely so again thank you for doing that i really appreciate that my friends and it's funny how we find ourselves where we are now oh indeed no not at all i'd say i'd love to take some kind of credit for it but to be honest with you it's probably more an example of one of those cases where it was trouble getting me to shut up to be honest um so um and and a great name there gareth you know i remember gareth and um probably a few years well they did speak to gareth a few years ago and as you say um great great people were very lucky to have to have names like that who are willing to share their time Absolutely. And as our listeners are going to find out, you're a very successful man. But like most successful men that I've come across, you give freely of your time and experience to people who ask. And the reason I want to get that across to our audience is I know that people approach me, Nigel Moore, Gareth, other people like that. And perhaps they're a bit trepidatious about getting in touch because they think these guys are too busy and they won't want to give away their trade secrets. You're the specific example that I can give to people of, hey, the, the most successful people I've ever come across give freely of their time and experience. So again, huge thank you uh, for that. And, uh, and as our listeners, are about to find out you are a wealth of knowledge but let's jump in i mentioned your longevity in the msp industry uh, it was way back in the 2000s that you and i uh, first met um can you give us a potted version of your history from 1999 up until present day mark yeah yeah long time 20, 24 years just mm. just highlighting the age is terrible we'll get on to that later <laughs> um so yeah no so yeah as you say we set up in 99 and um went through the classic cycles really background prior to setting up the company was working for um large it and actually just a bit before that bizarrely i don't know if i ever told you that story but i actually spent seven years in air traffic control so i've got a real mixed background in terms of history i did not know that and, yeah incredible. i did wow. yeah so it might play into something that comes up later we'll see um, so yeah, so I did 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 a first bit in air traffic, got, got into large IT, and um, and then classic when you're when you're younger than I am now, you kind of have that attitude of um, I can do this, I can do this better than anybody else. Of course I can. So uh, yeah, jumped jumped out and set up your own managed services company. Really, um, very fortunate start. Uh, in terms of doing some work with the MOD, it was a fantastic foundation, gave us a good kickoff, and then just really grew from there. So we really we went at the SMB market, we focused on that. That's where obviously we crossed paths in terms of the SBS world uh, back in the day, who didn't have fun with SBS, and um, and from there grew up really. And then probably oof, I'm going to say 2010 was probably when we first stepped outside of that traditional managed services space, and we started to add in a, what is now a Microsoft Dynamics business into our practice. And uh, we have a, a whole portion of the business that does dynamics now. And then five-ish years ago, we took another 
another turn and basically decided that, you know, again, off that Microsoft platform, we wanted to do the cybersecurity piece and set up our own security operations center. So, so today that's the kind of makeup of the business. It's, um, you know, still, still a good core chunk of it is the managed services, another discrete sizable piece, the dynamics. And lastly, we've got the, the cybersecurity and then all of that totals up these days to about eh, 110 people. So, uh, based, based out of Bristol. And, um, although of course, uh, in a fantastic scenario that we're all lucky to take advantage of these days. Uh, we have employees all over the UK. So uh, we have we have people up in Scotland, we have people in Wales, you name it. So yeah, great. 110 people. So again, congratulations. I know it's been a little while, uh, you know, since we, we talked about that, but incredible growth. And you really are one of the UK MSP industries, you know, big success story. So again, you know, congrats on everything you've achieved. Uh, I guess fast forward to today, you said, you know, a chorus. And, and and I'll have to ask your apology up front or apologize up front here, Mark. I am going to continuously call you Chorus IT because that's what I know you as back in the day. Of course, it's Chorus now, but you were an IT, you know, managed service provider back in the day, now an MSSP, located in Bristol, 110 staff. Um, you've made that transition from successful MSP to MSSP. But first, I guess for the benefit of our listeners, how would you, Mark Taylor describe one MSSP is and what they do. Yeah, so I think I, I another one of these classic IT terms, isn't it, that shifts. Mm. So um, for me, I think you know a, a few years ago we probably would have very uh, had a distinct label to that and say that you know it's somebody who really has a a super super strong security focus and they're all about security and that's kind of what they do. And and to a degree that that definition still has scope. I think in today's today's world, I think what shifted a little bit a little bit more broadly now is that actually. Uh, certainly the organizations I talk to who are not simply just IT related. I talk to telecoms companies, I talk to consultancies, everybody has to talk security, right? It's no longer a nice little add-on. We all have to have it as part of our day-to-day. And so for me, the, the MSSP terms broadened a little bit. I think I doubt there are many MSPs today who aren't in some form or other actually an MSSP. That's just a natural progression. Um, for me, it's just it's a little bit about those individual journeys. How far do you take it? Do you do it yourself? Do you do you partner? For us, we chose obviously a few years ago that we wanted to to try and do that ourselves, um, and and that's what's turned us into. I guess that was the start of our transition into being a formal MSSP and having a very right now in the traditional definition a strong cyber focus to our business. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I've got to ask as well, what prompted you to pivot, you know, Chorus, really successful uh, uh, MSP, traditional IT, um, you know, as we might call it, to the MSSP model? Was there a tipping point or was there something that came along, Mark, that said, I can see where this is going and I'm going to pivot now? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about specifically. There were a couple of things, I think. So I think that, you know, probably I don't remember the exact years and per my apologies, I don't remember when we first met that, you know, my memory is, is a bit notorious. So uh, obviously we had those uh, scenarios a few years back where we had the big name viruses. So WannaCry, NonPetya, you know, the ones we all know. Um, and I think for me, kind of in the run up to that era and certainly in that era, you know, brought, m- my mind was racing ahead to the this is not going to be a nice add-on at some point. This is going to be core. So yeah. we're going to have to start thinking about what we're going to do with this. So we were kind of starting to get a little bit deeper into it then and figure out what we wanted to do with it. And I think just very much classic classic Microsoft mold at that point in the sense that we're already heavily in that ecosystem. Um, Microsoft is starting to bring out um, their enhanced Defender products, Defender for Endpoint. Defender ATP as it was back in the day. Let's not talk about rebrands. Um, and <laughs> very much a case of we sort of got some exposure to those initial products and i think when we saw them and we saw them in action and i did actually see a couple of really really live examples of them working well i kind of thought to myself oh this is i I can really see there's definitely a future in this you know it is it is a, a solid platform to build off of so and then at that point we kind of leaned into it and went for it really yeah, and you were saying to to clarify the timeline. So five years has that been since you've moved to the MSS? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, we were, you know, is there an exact point? I mean, for us, I think where we got into it, if you want to call it seriously, and where we really decided to spin up our own 24-7 SOC based in the UK, that came about when Microsoft released their Sentinel Cloud Seam product. So when Microsoft kind of went, right, here's our Defender products, and now we've got Cloud Seam, we'd already been using the Defender stack, and we'd had some good success with that, but it, it still felt like it was existing customer base for just tacking a few additional security pieces on to now we had this cloud-based scene product in Sentinel, which we could plug Defender into. And we were just like, okay, no, actually, I I think we can really do something interesting with this. And at that point, we started to invest a lot more heavily in spin-up teams and and bring in engineering, et cetera, and just, just basically raise our game up. Yeah, we're mentioning a lot of acronyms. So I want for the benefit of our audience worldwide. We already mentioned SBS, which uh, (laughs) for old school guys like you and I, small business server, a tool that went well away. Remind us what SIEM stands for. Yeah, so SIEM seems long term, S-I-E-M. I don't know if SIEM, some people call it a little bit differently, but security information and event management is what it stands for. Um, Ultimately, you know, a little bit of a fancy name really for event logging. You know, you've got a lot of information pouring into um, a centralized location. And then obviously these days we're able to bring a phenomenal amounts of smarts to that, you know, um, obviously you mentioned AI at the start, there's all kinds of smarts that then go into that product. And obviously being cloud-based was another big advantage because certainly we were early adopters of the cloud. Um, so, so yeah, we, we'd kind of, we probably bumped into a couple of seams pre that, but as soon as Microsoft came out with Sentinel, we were like, no, nope, full tilt, let's go for this. And we started to build up our expertise in it. Yeah. So we want to, I want us to dig a little bit deeper into that Microsoft relationship as we go on and what that means for MSPs listening. But before we do, let's let's just delve into the uh, move from MSP to MSSP. What type of clients did you work with traditionally as an MSP back when you were a full MSP? So maybe the chorus IT days that we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, Was there so- a geography or uh, anything like that? No, it's a real, real mix, to be honest with you. I used to tell a story back in the day that we were a little bit of a thorn in Microsoft's side because obviously one of the things that Microsoft have always had a history of liking to do with their partners is box them up, mm. uh, give, give them a label. And uh, we we were not particularly keen to be labeled, to be fair. So um, our, our history was pretty varied in the IT world. We had uh, manufacturing customers, hospitality customers. We had uh, traditional professional services customers, you know, accountants, lawyers, that kind of thing. Um, so a, a, a real spread, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and and certainly in the core IT business, that w- that was always the case. It's been a real mix, and a real mix in terms of um, size and geography. So we worked with, you know, we've got one customer now still in IT who was one of our first customers, one of my very first customers. I think they had, I'm going to say, eight staff when I first engaged with them in about. 2000 mm-hmm. uh today they have 15 staff and i'm still working with them wow. so um and then at the other end you know we've got customers that are kind of in the managed services space or in that 1200 1500 2000 seat range um and have got global presence um you know we, and we provide 24 7 support on the it side as well as the security side these days and so you know they've got operations in new zealand new york europe you name it yeah. So when you made the move from MSP to MSSP, and I know it wasn't a big bang, so to speak, it was more sort of uh, edging into uh, that market. So do you still offer traditional uh, managed service uh, IT uh, support to clients as well as the security side of things? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I think that's important. I mean, certainly um, for a cu- couple of reasons. I mean, it's I think the thing is, and this this is the interesting part, right, is that the lines that sit between traditional IT and security um, are are, are a little bit too blurry today. Um, I don't think you can define them quite as cleanly as you could. And what I mean by that is that, you know, uh, most IT organizations certainly operate in the Microsoft space, so they will be very familiar with things like Intune and conditional access um, and and all the tooling that goes with those kinds of products. Um, But you can't you can't just separate that from security. You know, yeah. those things are intrinsically linked. And so therefore, you know, we've got a lot of expertise in on, on quotes both sides of the fence in the pure play cybersecurity and also in the in the mainstream IT delivery side. Um, and, and we think that expertise is important to what we bring to the table. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that in terms of our 
work in the partner channel and switching to a more channel-based model, um, that's a super clean hard line down the middle. You know, that's that's as solid as it can be. Um, obviously, having been an LMS, MSP for 20 years, I, I've I've been on the end of that experience where um, vendors of different sizes have crossed over a line that I wasn't happy about at various points. Yeah. Uh, and I were obviously right at the gates. We were super sensitive to that and I had a very clear mantra about, you know, no, we, yes, we still do managed services, no, there is not a chance in anything that we will cross the line and, and uh, you know, upset anybody. We're there. What we're there for our channel partners is to support. Um, you literally can take as much service and support as you like from us. You know, we have partners who um, have actually really, really good security knowledge. And, you know, just recently we've engaged with a partner in Germany who um, basically they already had Sentinel set up for their customers. And they were really quite sophisticated in terms of their deployment, but they didn't. They felt they were reaching the limits of their capability and didn't want to run it 24-7. So they chose to partner up with us. And then at the other extreme, you've got those partners who maybe um, maybe they're a little more comfortable in the Google space or they're a little familiar, familiar with AWS. And actually, they're looking for a, a, a bit more of a hand-holding exercise in the Microsoft space. And they're happy to take support and advice around things like conditional access, which we're experts in. So for us, it's it's a movable dial. You tell us what you want, and we'll give you the support exactly the level you ask us for it. Yeah. How are you finding the the tension, perhaps, that could be there at times between serving as an MSSP, you know, end users, and also working with MSPs, the predominant listeners to this show, Mark, you know, who you partner up with? You've already addressed the fact, you know, you keep that sort of uh, firewall in between the two businesses or the two sides of things there. But what about the staff working across? How do, how do you and the, the rest of the Chorus team find dealing with things on two fronts? there yeah so effectively it runs as two separate businesses so to to give the to give a really sort of straight simple example um when we when we engage with a new partner um you know we've obviously got very um predefined sort of processes we go through to figure out you know what that partner wants from us how they want to be worked with how they want us to engage with them um you know there's a whole standard set of processes we go to to figure out how that partner wants to work and very much we view the you know the it side of course as they're another partner so we have those same predefined processes with them how do we engage where do we pass things across how do we pass across um, and it very much is two distinct teams doing two different things um, but engaging and and to a certain extent that's been great because you know we've been able to trial a lot of the processes and the things we have to figure out with our own internal treating our own internal uh, it team as a as a partner as much as we do with the par partners themselves yeah, I guess a question that springs to mind is you and I, we've already talked about our, shall I say, longevity in this industry. <laughs> it's a better way of saying that we're the old men of the uh, the place. We, uh, or, or certainly I used to, and it's something that I picked up from you and Gareth Brown and others, is collaborating with other IT companies to deliver services and things. So if any MSPs listening to this, they might approach you initially for the MSSP piece, and we'll talk, we'll get into the, the weeds of that a little bit more shortly. But perhaps if they needed help with projects or any of the traditional IT stuff, resource that elasticity, you know, uh, from partnering up with someone else. Is that something you, you help MSP partners with too? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not something we front and centre scream about because yeah. obviously you always want to be known for something. And, and right now our goal is to be known for our, our Microsoft cybersecurity services. But 100 percent, you know, we you know what we tend to find, if I'm perfectly honest, is that we engage with a partner very much on the cybersecurity side. And somewhere in the conversation, something will come up and they'll go, oh, you can help with that. And we go, yeah, yeah, you're cool. You know, if you'd like to, we can talk about that. And sure enough, obviously, and then a conversation flows and it turns out we can help them with something else. And, you know, obvious examples, again, they're a kind of a natural flow today, I think. So the obvious examples is that we might engage with somebody very much in a, a, a security operation center standard practice scenario. Um, and inevitably, really today, the data compliance side of any business. So I'm thinking things like insider risk management. I'm thinking um, uh, things like data labeling policies, Microsoft Purview, these kinds of products. We have a lot of expertise in those product sets. They don't naturally kind of easily fit into that SOC security scenario. But the reality is day to day for businesses and for partners, those two products cross over each other. Um, and 
as it happens, I think we're going to increasingly see a crossover of that because of AI. Um, so, and again, obviously our experience is, is that when we get out into the marketplace, um, those partners that are building up and looking to partner for somebody with cybersecurity, tend not to have obviously the the compliance side of it that goes with it they, they're usually you know kind of that core um core managed services practice they know they know their infrastructure supremely well um and they know the they, they know the kind of foundational software and security they just don't necessarily have the interest or the capability to really build it out themselves yeah, absolutely. And I think, that, you know, I'm going to take a, a leap here and say that I would have thought the majority of our audience who are listening are in that position where they've built a successful MSP. And now considering, do we make the leap? Do we go all in and invest in the MSSP? Or do we focus on what we, you know, uh, what we do well and partner up with someone else, which I think, you know, that's that's going to be a focus of our conversation going forward here. Let's go back to the acronyms a little bit. So you already, I already mentioned uh, that Chorus offer channel focused MDR, MXDR to MSPs. Okay, let's decrypt that jargon a little bit there, Mark. What is MDR and what is MXDR? Yeah, so I guess you know, literally, you know, we've got, we've got managed detection response, and we've got managed extended detect, detection and response. Um, and you know, basically, for us, in a lot of our conversations, we tend to use the word scope. It's about scope. Um, I think for any MSP, and certainly for end customers who are kind of uh, new to a modern style of security, that kind of twenty four seven managed and monitored style of security, um, I think MDR is a great place to start. It's about saying basically if you think about most businesses infrastructure and then you look statistically at where the risks are clearly if we say let's in a, a 200 seat business who have got five servers maybe those are in the cloud or not but they've got 200 laptops with staff who sit and work at those eight hours a day um, clearly from a time perspective the risk is all on the end user device and the time they're doing they're the ones opening emails clicking web links undertaking those risky activities not the five servers sat in the corner that are doing their thing and not exposed to the internet so from a security risk perspective just in terms of the most common attacks the highest volume of work and activity endpoints are really the kind of biggest risk factor for most organizations and in that sense managed detection and response getting an EDR agent, an endpoint detection response agent onto those machines, and then having a SOC available to monitor the activity on these machines 24-7 for anything that looks out of place, that, is, that delivers high value from a security perspective. Um, you know, you're looking for that, that user clicking on the, the link they probably shouldn't have. You're looking for that uh, file that just got spun out of a Word document that really shouldn't have been fired out of that Word document um, and, and detecting those things on the endpoint. So that kind of managed detection response service, the managed element obviously being critical uh, because, again, I think one of the differentiators for us, and obviously there are, there are other players in the market doing the same thing, doing really good stuff, is that you know we have analysts eyes on with this thing 24-7. So right. when something happens on that and there is some kind of anomaly or behavior detected, um, it very rapidly gets surfaced to the analyst um, and they're able to go eyes on with that make a call on what they think is going on. And for us, uh, the phrase we use these, these days is all about containment. You know, mm. We're about rapidly containing the threat. You know, uh, Threats are going to get onto your network. That's a fact. What we're about is containing those threats as rapidly as possible. Ideally, minutes. Minutes from the initial kickoff, we want to isolate those endpoints, get them off the network, isolate the identities, and basically prevent um, any, any attacker who's got invite that mechanism from taking a foothold and getting onto the rest of your systems. So that's the goal. That's where the MDR comes in. Um, the MXDR, the extended detection response. Um, you know, back in the days, kind of an old style SOC and, and you know, lots of large orgs have done. You basically, you want to pull in more sources. You want to say, okay, I'm looking at my endpoints, but now I want to look at my identity platform. You know, And obviously for a lot of businesses, that might have been Active Directory, or today it might be hybrid and enter ID as well. So we'll look at identities. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, you know, uh, cloud app activity. Where are they signing in? What data are they transferring? So you've got all these additional sources of activity, which rightly, can and often do generate security events and things you want to be aware of. 
So the extended detection response is the concept of saying, right, we start with MDR, which is all about the laptop, the end user's device and monitoring that. Now we're going to start pulling in more information. So we're going to start pulling in all the, all the information from enter ID or from AD. We're going to start pulling in the logs from their web browsing and, and from various places. And we're going to pull all of that in. And then, and, and this is again, really, I think one of Microsoft's strengths is because a lot of that stuff is pre-built in various Defender products, you get this very, very rapid, very coherent coherent story that tells you what's going on. It's not a case of product A has detected a bad email link over here and product B has detected something on the endpoint over here. Uh, we get this incredibly kind of coherent view of this clicked here, this went to here, this kicked off this activity. And you know, our analysts can look at that and go, okay, I need to isolate that and that. Um, so that that MXDR is just basically the idea of expanding out the amount of things you're taking awareness of from a security perspective. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I think it should be clear to many of our listeners who have uh, already looked into the idea of migrating from an MSSP to MSSP, this can be a big investment, you know, a big investment of time. The tools are all there. Let's make no bones about it. However, it's the expertise that you put behind them and how you actually uh, deal with the uh, alerts and things that are brought up that is the real uh, key piece here. So let's let's take a scenario. You, you know, I'm an MSP listening to this. We we partner with Chorus uh, for their um, for their SOC, and we'll get into that in a little bit, what that actually looks like. But something happens, and most MSPs, uh, are typically during working hours. Of course, they do 24 by 7, 365 monitoring. But if something, you know, if a bad guy starts to try and, you know, get into a client's network um, or, or breach or whatever it might be in the early hours of the morning, do you provide 24-7 support? And what does that look like? How do you how do you contain it and then escalate it to the MSP? Yeah, so it's it's definitely 24-7, eyes on, analysts all the time looking at these um, uh, incidents as they're coming in. And basically, the uh, you know we referred, obviously, earlier, we talked a little bit about how uh, an early part of that partner engagement process is working with the partner to say, well, what does your service look like? Do you have 24-7 mm. IT support? Is it just a small team? Um, you know, how if we get an alert at three o'clock in the morning, what would you like us to do with it? So it's a big part of that is that gauge, engagement process where we will figure out all the answers to those questions up front. And then once the service starts, our analysts are then super clear. Okay, so if this type of activity occurs at three o'clock in the morning, we are pre-authorized to take action and you know isolate the account, isolate the machine, whatever it happens to be. Um, and then the very next step is we are required to, I don't know, and obviously it can vary. It can be we, perhaps we send an email, perhaps we make a phone call, um, but we will agree that process with the partner um, and the partner can you know, give us the steer on how they want to work with us. Uh, and then from them, it, it's very much, you know, then it's about providing that support to the partner to say, okay, not only have we isolated this and we've taken these steps and this is the threat we've seen, this is what we would recommend you do next. You need to take these actions. You need to, I don't know, everything from you know rebuilding the machine might be the advice, or you know the immediate advice usually looks like, well, get make sure the users reset this, or make sure they've reset any passwords they had stored in their browser. Um, you know, there are these common events that obviously we we give very direct and clear feedback to the partner to say these are the things you need to do next. Yeah, and I've spoke to people who have partnered with SOX organizations like yourself and that, and they tell me that the, the biggest thing for them is the peace of mind. When it hits the fan, not to get too graphic about it, Mark, yeah. but you yeah. don't want to be facing this down alone. You want the experts on your side who can say to you, I would take if this action, this action, and this action uh, to move forward. So that's the peace of mind that you give into the MSP partners. Yeah, and you know, and they the partner has the ability to call back into us, and you know, if they've got more questions, if you know, we've given, we've said these are the things we would be doing next. You know, the threat is contained, um, but here's the things you need to do next. And, but they get there, and then they're like, oh, actually, I'm not sure. What about this? You know, they just call back in, and we we will give them you know the next step of advice and say, okay, yep, no, you don't need to worry about that because, um, you know, and, and and as you say, it's important to provide that that additional advice because. Those are the worrying times. Um, I do think there's a bit of a shift in the market. I think, you know, um, there's a very traditional concept, again, historical one of what uh, incident response services look like. Mm. Um, and I think the area between actually the type of SOC services that um, organizations like ourselves can provide today and others um, versus the blur into incident response is not quite as clear as it used to be um, because obviously 
really I thought, you know, again, old fashioned incident response would have been very much about containment action in the first instance. Yeah, getting the team in, how are we managing this threat? Well, actually, the SOC are doing that in minutes these days. We're taking those steps and we're containing threats in minutes. So the incident response actions have just blurred slightly between the service that we provide and the actions that the partner might need to take as part of an incident response service. Now, don't get me wrong, that's another one of those things we can offer up. If it, There are certainly partners who ask us, can we provide formal incident response services? And the answer is yes, we can. Um, but I think I'm also keen to educate partners and say, yeah, look, you don't want that problem. Your customer doesn't want that problem. Um, and actually, if we've done what we want to do as well as we'd like to do it, which is contain that threat really rapidly, then actually response, incident response services are a much narrower defined thing that we now need to do. We don't need to worry about that big foothold across the rest of your estate and the fact that maybe an hour from now, they're going to try and ransomware your network because that's been contained. Yeah. So I think it's clear to to most people the the value in having, you know, a SOC partner. And I should say, let's rewind a little bit. SOC, another acronym there, Security Operations Center. So for the benefit of listeners, very similar to what MSPs typically do with their NOC, Network Operations Center, that type of thing, except obviously it's all focused on the security uh, uh, aspect of uh, things, response and looking after the security side of things. But let's continue on the theme of educating uh, people. So there's going to be some listeners you know, long-time listeners to the show know I'm a huge fan of outsourcing. I truly believe MSPs become more successful when they focus on their core competencies and buddy up or team up with other partners to deliver other services. You've already talked about dynamics earlier on, and, you know, we've talked about web design, all sorts of things, you know, buddying up with other people. But when it comes to a SOC, Security Operations Center, lots of MSPs are going to be like, hmm, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm going to look at doing it myself a little bit more. So let's give them some advice here. Um, MSPs, how do you engage with MSPs to help them with their Microsoft stack and to help them start to become on that road to becoming an MSSP? Yeah, it's it, it's really you hit the nail on the head already. It's really all about the education piece, um, you know, and and that education piece takes on multiple uh, dimensions really because it can be everything from kind of core education around what the individual because let's face it, it's no hiding the fact that Microsoft has always have got a lot of Defender products. So uh, there's always an education piece around well, what what is it these Defender products do individually, collectively. So there's always a good good education story to tell there. I think that again, another classic Microsoft story that you know those of us who dealt them for a long time know we have to deal with is licensing. Mm. So there's always education around what is it your customers already have? Because that's the usual thing that we find with a lot of customers these days is that, well, you're already paying for that. You know that you've got it in this license. So there's usually an education piece around the products themselves, licensing, um, getting them up to speed. And then um, actually the next stage for us tends to be about, okay, well, so how does how does what we can do today and what we're offering today in terms of SOC services, how does that differ from some of those historical pieces? So another one of those classic examples is those customers who come to us and go, so I'm assuming that all of your analysts are locked in a dark room in the basement, of course, as head office, yeah. And it's like, no, no, they're not. Um, so, you know, we, it, you know, it's 2023, we don't have to do it like that anymore. Um, yeah, that doesn't mean there aren't questions we have to answer and, and precautions we have to take. Of course, that the guys are the same, but you know, it that's not how it works today. Um, you know, if the attackers can be anywhere anytime, there needs to be a really deep question about well, why can the defenders not be anywhere anytime? So um, you know, that 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 there's usually an education piece about what a modern SOC service looks like versus something a little more traditional that possibly we've either, I don't know, experienced as part of a large organization in our past, or maybe we've watched a few too many movies. Um, take your pick. You know, there's that mix of just bringing up the the overall knowledge for everybody body to say, look, this is what it looks like. Um, and then, as you say, you know, every MSP will be different. You know, I, I've worked with MSPs who, the obvious ones, who are kind of the ones who just don't don't want to get deep, deeply involved in the security side, they're happy to partner. I've worked with those that are absolutely adamant, they wanted to go build it themselves um, and fully support that. Um, I've had those that have done that and then realized they didn't, it wasn't what they thought it was and they've come back. Um, and so you you get a full spectrum of partners and, I, and obviously every partner has to go on their own journey and figure out what works for them. Um, you know, again, these days there are a lot of security 
well-known names in the space. Um, there are ones that are very similar to us and I, and I think do a fantastic service um, and, and are doing very well. And then you've got some for me that, you know, on a, on a certain day, I, I, the way I tend to describe it to partners, they're a little more like an alert factory. So they're going to do some really good stuff and it's going to be clever. Um, but ultimately, what's going to come over the fence and land in your lap is a bit of an alert and a little bit of you're going to have to figure out what to do with it next. And now some partners are fine with that. They're, they're, you know, they're happy. They've got the knowledge, the skill the, and the determination and capability to do that. And, and, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but there are those that obviously, as you said earlier, really just go... Uh, can you take care of that for me um, and do that next step? So everybody's got to pick their own path. Yeah. Well, let me put you on the spot here. Why should any current MSP consider becoming an MSSP? What's been the biggest benefit to you of, of taking this route? Yeah, I think, I think to be honest with you, I, I think the... Apart from, you know, probably individual examples, I'd be surprised if there are many MSPs today who haven't seen some tangible example themselves of a security incident of some kind with a customer. So they've probably really felt it firsthand. Um, and that's given them an impetus to, to say, well, okay, we need to do something about this. Um, but we've also got a scenario where... Um, those, those partners have just, you know, the education's coming up. We're, we're becoming more and more aware that it, it's not something we can ignore. As I said earlier, some of our partners today are telecoms partners. Um, and if you'd have told me even three years ago that we were going to be working with telecoms partners that deliver cybersecurity services, I just said, oh, really? Um, so, you know, I think it's just the fact that the market today knows that everybody has a responsibility to deliver this in some fashion it is simply up to the individual partners to choose the fashion in which they want to deliver it to their customers yeah makes a lot of sense and again if i can put you on the spot here so obviously there's going to be msps listening and thinking yeah partnering with an mssp like chorus is going to be a lot better the, the right route for us are going to be a lot better but there's going to be others who say yeah i want to become an mssp myself what words of caution would you give to anyone? And I'm conscious, of course, Mark, you would love every MSP to be listening to this to go, we're going to partner with Chorus to do this instead. But what words of caution would you give to anybody who is dead set on becoming an MSSP themselves? Yeah, I think there are uh, a few key challenges there. So um, one, it's definitely, definitely uh, it's a fairly expensive exercise, um, and, and I'm not a drinker myself, but if you get me enough coats on the night out, I might share with you how much it costs us over the last few years <laughs> to spin this up. So, um, you know, it's it's not, it's not it's an expensive exercise to get up and running. Obviously, there is a natural, uh, natural gravitation towards this is a 24-7 service, um, and, and we all know that spinning up any 24-7 service, again, is, is not easy either from a recruitment, planning, cost perspective. And then... And that's before we even get to the whole the technical aspects of it. Yeah. So um, I think I think we've all probably seen the figures over the last few years that the worldwide shortage of cybersecurity resources is is just immense. Um, the people with the right skill sets, et cetera, et cetera, is just it's not there. Um, and therefore, you've got to be very clear that you've got a clear goal and a plan to how are you going to go and get the right resources? How are you going to find them? How are you going to encourage them to join you? What is it that you can offer um, that's going to attract the right talent? Um, because we all know the talent market is, is you know, is, is particularly um, busy right now. Let's call it that. Um, yeah. And, you know, so th there are those questions to answer, I think. And, Obviously, I, I as I say, I I have worked with partners who have taken that decision to go. No, we're going to do this ourselves, and I, I would never ever knock anybody for doing that. Absolutely, go for it. Um, I yeah, you know, having been as I say, being the MSS MSP side, I do fully understand the mindset of no, I'm going to do this myself. You know, so um, no, I would never discourage anybody from doing that. We we can give tangible examples of the kind of time, effort, cost, challenge that goes into doing that and just say, eh, just keep those thoughts in the back of your mind um, and, and have a good think about whether you want to step up to that. Yeah, thanks for sharing so opening there, Mark. And, and as I said at the top of the uh, conversation here, Mark, uh, for the benefit of listeners, Mark is you know really open and honest about these things. We're going to make sure you have Mark's contact details uh, before we uh, finish up the call today. So don't worry about scribbling things down if you're out walking or walk, uh, you know, walking the dog or driving the car or whatever. Please don't worry. We'll give you all the show notes uh, for this. Mark, let me ask. 
with the MSPs that you've seen, obviously you've been doing this for a while now, what's the biggest mistake you see MSPs making with their cybersecurity offerings to, to end users full stop, not even an MSSP, just a traditional MSP? Yeah, I think I think to be honest with you, it's um, it's that classic. You know, we've all been there as an MSSP where we know our time is tight. Yeah, we're busy, busy, busy doing the day job, and that keep and we're having to relearn. You know, that that market shifts constantly and rapidly as as much as cybersecurity does, and so our time is always tight. And therefore, I think sometimes the bit where a little bit sometimes it's too easy to skip over is. Have we done enough research into what we want out of this, how it's going to perform, what it's going to do for us, um, and how we're going to make the most of it for both ourselves and our customers? And so, you know, the primary example for me of that is kind of I've spoken to quite a few partners now who probably jumped into what they thought was going to be their cybersecurity offering, you know, as much as two, three years ago. Um, and actually, what they've really learned a little bit painfully over the last couple of years is that it was a little more of that alert factory style of cybersecurity and that they were being bombarded with things and, you know, and, oh, what do I do with all this? Um, and I think for me, that's that's where you, it's worth taking the time to go that extra step, take a little more time to understand this. Um, like I said, there, there are plenty of good providers in the market that, that do what is, in my opinion, the better version of cybersecurity, that version where they will provide the assistance and help. So there are options there. Um, just go and look. Um, I think that, you know, there's there's an inevitability, as there always sometimes is in, in, in our space, that, you know, Microsoft's the usual juggernaut. Um, they are... You know, as they are, they're an immense marketing machine. And so what we've started to experience in the last 18 months, two years, perhaps, is that we're seeing a lot of partners who, again, maybe they made a choice for vendor A and, and, and that was not a wrong choice. It was just a choice at the time. But actually what's happening now is the customer is coming back and saying, oh, I, I saw from Microsoft that, you know, I've got Defender for Endpoint as part of my business premium license. Uh, Surely I can use that for my security. And then, of course, the partner has to answer the question, well, A, yes, you can do that. B, yes, it is including your license. I know I was talking to you about charging you for a third-party product, but I also now need to answer the question of how is the service layer that sits on top of that Microsoft product going to be delivered to you as my customer? And so um, we're seeing quite a few examples of where the partners are actually coming back in and saying, oh, I got customers asking me about this Microsoft thing. Can you help? Um, so, you know, again, thinking about just how you're going to answer those questions. And if you've, if you've chosen a different path, nothing wrong with that. But again, have a clear explanation of why, why you've gone with vendor A versus, let's say, a Microsoft approach, because um, the big, as we know, the 800-pound gorilla in the room that is Microsoft is is not going to be as shy about educating your customer on what they can offer. Definitely not. Let's talk a little bit more about that specific gorilla. Uh, so Chorus are a member of the Microsoft Intelligence Security Association, MISA. And you've also got, within the team, you've got three Microsoft Advanced Specializations in Security. Tell us a little bit more about MISA, the Intelligence Security Association, and you know the road you took with getting those qualifications in place. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, really, really, really proud of the Mesa one, to be honest with you. So, it, it, you know, obviously, I think, again, we're all familiar with Microsoft's history of the way it works with partners and uh, competencies and solution designations as they are now and and the various exercises we go through for that. Mesa is a little bit different. So Mesa is an organization that Microsoft established in, uh, I think it was late 2018, early 2019. Um, and it's um, it's an invite-only organization, so you can't qualify. Um, mm. It's invite-only and, and it's split. 50-50. So about 50% of partners are ISVs who bring along um, additional support and enhancements and products that integrate with Microsoft security stack. And then the other 50% are uh, like ourselves. So they're MSSPs. So they're security partners of Microsoft who have invested heavily into the Microsoft offering um, and, and bring a set capability to the table. Um, and then you get invited into Musa. Um, and then really that's, that's as with anything of that nature, really any of the vendor programs you could look at, that's about Microsoft then working with partners. It feels that have got particular capability in that space to say, okay, let's talk, let's make sure we're doing the right thing by the customer. Are we doing the right thing by the partner as well? Um, and just, you know, keeping those things aligned really and making sure they're delivering maximum value. Again, something that obviously Microsoft have got a lot, a lot of experience with. Um, the other thing they've done more recently, so literally in the last year, 
is they've taken it a step further. So they now have a, a sub-designation within Mesa called MXDR Verified. Um, and the MXDR Verified status, again, it's a real first for Microsoft, to my knowledge, um, in that obviously Microsoft's traditional approach is, you know, you come to them, you you have some staff and some qualifications, et cetera. Um, with the MXDR Verified program, it's again, as a subset of Mesa, what they've actually done is go, okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna come out to the MSSPs and we're going to basically lift the lid on your operation. We're mm. going to look at how you've technically configured your stack, how you've built your processes, how you interact with customers. Uh, and they basically, you know, crawl all over your operation, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and the goal of that is, is that they're looking to be able to, again, like I said, first time for my launch in the market, is go out to the market and say, this subset of partners have absolutely reached a standard we consider acceptable from the cybersecurity space. And actually it's a very high standard. Yeah. Um, so you can be confident that if you choose to work with them, um, that their practices and, and, and technologies are where they need to be. So um, yeah, we've got both of those, very proud of that. Um, you know, as I say, you know, in a, in a global sense, if you told me a few years ago, we'd be one of 200 Demisa or one of, I think we're one of, let's say, less than 50 that are in the MXDR verified camp right now. I would have been like, no. So, um, yeah, very, very, very pleased to have been able to uh, reach that status. Incredible achievements uh, for you. So, you know, huge congratulations for a UK company uh, achieving that as well. And I, I'm going to be upfront and honest, and I hadn't come across uh, Misa before you and I had the conversation about it. It isn't something that uh, I've heard mentioned in the MSP, MSSP circles uh, before. So, again, in incredible. I guess while we're on the subject of partnerships, obviously we've mentioned the big gorilla there, Microsoft. Some of the other partnerships that you and I have spoken about before, though, uh, one of them, uh, TD Cinex. So I guess for the benefit of listeners, TD Cinex, it's an American IT distribution company. They've got 22,000 uh, people in their workforce across 100 companies, formed in 2021 by the merger of Cinex and Tech Data. That's the TD part of it. What does your relationship with TD Cinex look like? Yeah, I, so basically, um, like most MSPs, when we started up, you know, we went to establish our our distributor relationships, and um, we all know there are two, three big players in that space. And 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 in the MSP side of our business, we've been working with the big three distributors in the UK since we were founded. So um, very familiar with them. Very good relationship with TD Cinex over the years as they are now, and um, and obviously again as we obviously built our expertise in that cyberspace area as we established those credentials, as we did the MISO, as we got the MSCR verified. Uh, in the conversations we were having with TD Synex, you know, they were saying to us, well, look, they are, as I understand it anyway, the largest CSP indirect provider in Europe. Um, they have an absolutely astonishing large amount of CSP licenses that they supply to partners on behalf of customers. Um, and they were getting questions back in from their partners to say, I need some help with the Microsoft security stack. Um, and I think, you know, some conversations took place and fortunately we were able to find, come to an agreement and say, yeah, do you know what? We, th we think we can make this work here. Um, so yeah, we've we've established a great relationship with, with TD Synex. Uh, right now it's um, the UK and Europe. Um, and, you know, we've got this, this month in particular. So it, this month we're, we're out at Ignite next week. We're in Oslo. We're in Hamburg, Munich, Amsterdam, uh, Brussels, and a couple of other places as well, I think. So we're all over the place, both with Microsoft and TD Synex, um, talking cybersecurity, talking AI. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a very, I think, good relationship for us to, to get the services that we have available out into the market. Um, you know, we are working with other, other large distributors. We are talking to several of them um, because obviously uh, all of those CSP providers are ultimately being asked questions about specifically what can you offer me on the Microsoft security space? And they all need an answer. So um, yeah, we're, we're, we're enjoying having those conversations and seeing what we can figure out to, to offer partners and customers. Wonderful. And again, for the benefit of listeners, we'll include details in the show notes about TD Synex, as well as Chorus and everything Mark's uh, spoken about. You mentioned a buzzword bingo uh, <laughs> phrase there that I've got to, we've got to delve into just a little bit. AI, 
artificial intelligence you know I, I can remember mark and i'll just share with you as a friend a few years ago i did a lot of write, writing for the msp industry around ai what it would mean for managed service providers i actually went out on the road delivered a number of presentations and you know what it fell on deaf ears it fell on stony silence there at the time you know ai was seen as a little bit of a, a gimmick and something that was in the future of course, fast forward to today, 2023, November, we're recording this, and AI is everywhere. We've just had the big AI summit in the in the UK, uh, where international leaders have got together to talk about the ethical and moral implications. But Mark, what are you seeing for, for artificial intelligence, AI, for both MSPs and MSSPs in the industry? What does it look like in practical terms? Um, yeah, I think I think we're at a really interesting phase of it. I think the next six to twelve months are going to be perhaps the most interesting. Um, I think a little bit because we're transitioning from that early hype phase into um, a lot more of it is uh, appearing into people's hands. Uh, and I think as that happens, we'll we'll get a stronger sense of where where this might go. Uh, I think that there are it, it raises as many questions as it answers. To be fair, um, I think you know in the security space as one example. There are clearly, clearly examples of where it should be very helpful. Um, you know, analysts, as you can imagine, when they're looking at incidents, excuse me, they 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 have to very rapidly assimilate a lot of information. And we already know that AI is very good at taking a look at lots of information and distilling it quite rapidly into something usable. So I think that um, the opportunity for AI to um, speed up, assist. Just, just basically really enhance the capability of analysts to do their job more effectively in the security space. I think it's kind of self-evident. Um, we do, obviously, what we do need is we need to see the actual practical delivery of that. So, um, and I think, again, Microsoft's particular path they've chosen in terms of calling things co-pilot, I think that's, that's a, it's a good way to demonstrate it because I don't think this is about replacing roles in any shape, way, or form. Not from my perspective. This is about enhancing capability and enhancing people's ability to do things. So, I, on, on that side, you know, we... we, we Limited, like I said, we have some tangible experience with um, the the AI stuff, um, and I've seen some absolute gems, um, and I've seen some less than shiny gems. So, um, you know, I think we're still in that early learning phase, but really looking forward to the next few months. As I, as I, I think I mentioned in passing earlier, we're out at Ignite next week. Obviously, Microsoft's kind of premier uh, technical event, really. So we're in Seattle for four days, and and there's going to be some big announcements out there that we hope to be part of. So. Perhaps if we catch up again after next week, we might be able to share even more. Um, we'll have to do that, Mark. We'll, we'll have, have to, to get together. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the broader AI piece. Um, so, you know, I think the one everybody's particularly excited about, and I do understand why, is the Microsoft 365 Copilot piece. I think, you know, the ability to, to have that generalized AI assist people in a lot of day to day activities has a phenomenal amount of promise in it. I, th I think there's going to be some interesting little learning learning exercises, though. So, so one of the things that I think we've all been very familiar with in the IT industry over the last few years is that kind of, you know, um, garbage in, garbage out moniker of, you know. And I think the AI for me probably is has a. I have a feeling it's going to be almost the preeminent example of garbage in, garbage out. Um, you know, if you and. And I think what a lot of organizations are not necessarily fully engaged with just yet is that, you know, let's say you've, you know, a lot of organizations are obviously, especially the ones taking Microsoft 365 Copilot are going to have uh, their, their cloud tenancies. They've got Microsoft 365. They've got oodles of data poured in there. They've got it in SharePoint, OneDrive, email, Teams. They've got all this data in the cloud. And one of the things that has to happen, the very first thing that has to happen, natural fact, with Microsoft 365 Copilot, is that the basically the key has to be taken off the lock and it has to go at your entire tenant and index it um, because that forms the additional layer on top of the core LLM model in order to then provide you with the service back relevant with your data. And of course, and almost every organization I've ever worked with, we're not particularly good at managing our data. Mm. Um, you know, we've got better over the years, you know, GDPR and other things have encouraged us to become smarter and better at managing our data. Um, 
but I've bumped into very few organizations who I would truly say are very well managed with their data, unless they're highly regulated and, and then they tend to be a bit more efficient about it. Net result of that is, is that, you know, organizations, you know, many, many, many of them will be in a scenario where, you know, 10 years ago they had Bob who worked for them in Department X, who wrote a lot of documents and Bob left six years ago. But all of Bob's documents are still sat in some SharePoint folder. Nobody's probably looked at them for five years, but they're there. And if you then subscribe yourself into the N365 Copilot model and let the key off, well, now it's going to index all Bob's documents. And all of the sentiment, the language, the modeling, and the behavior that Bob had in his documents now form part of the model that drives your LLM in your tenant. And of course, the thing is about that is that this is not this is not some exercise you can necessarily go to after the fact and go, oh, I'm going to exercise that bit of sentiment from the LLM, um, you know, two years down the line. So I think we're approaching an era where I think um, data health is, is, is a phrase I, I've heard used for it, is going to become very, very key. I think the power of AI is going to be fantastic. I think there are some things that we're going to all have to think about a little bit harder as we go forward. Mm, yeah, and as you say, the garbage in, garbage out. That's my biggest fear about the whole AI movement here. It's all of uh, humanity's biggest, um, uh, you know, biases, bigotries, language that we use, everything else. We do not want AI to be taught, okay, this is the way we behave, because in, if anything, we've got to look at the data and say, what is the best version of ourselves that we want to represent to the to the machines here? That's got to be it. But it opens up a huge can of worms, and we could probably speak for an entire podcast just about this uh, uh, subject, Mark. But yeah. I'm conscious our time together is uh, uh, running out. You've been a great influence on me, Mark. Again, I, I thank you publicly for that. Um, we've mentioned other influences, uh, Gareth Brown and and so on and so forth, in you know, going back over the last 20 years. But who do you, who does Mark Taylor consider a mentor or an influence on his professional career? Oh, that's a tough question. That's mm -hmm. a tough question. Um, I, I I don't know that standout examples. There have been a couple of individuals, I think, at key points that have probably been critical for me. Um, I remember in my pre-setting up, just literally in the sort of year or two before I set up the business, um, I was working at a large IT firm, then disappeared. The name's disappeared now. It used to be called ICL. Those of you who are old enough will know the name. Um, and um, I was very lucky to work with a lady there called Dina, um, who, and I apologize to Dina, I don't remember your surname, but I remember that Dina was very influential on me. I think, you know, she was incredibly knowledgeable. Um, she had a phenomenal ability to engage with people uh, in, in a variety of circumstances. And I worked with Dina for about 18 months. And I just, I just remember um, just feeling like I was learning stuff like, oh, okay, that's, that's how we should approach this. And it wasn't really... Uh, out and out conscious, but I just remember it having having a big time and, and then set up the business and really and I and I think I felt a lot more comfortable and confident about what I was doing as a result of some of that. Um, I think that you know it's a bit cliched and I apologize in advance, but for me, um my my parents have been hugely influential. Um really it's, it's a bit too easy to understate, but they really have. Um and and in particular, you know, my my mum went through I think three substantial career changes uh as we as we were kids growing up. And she did each of these changes to suit changes in our environment as we changed schools and things like that. But each time she shifted, um, every time she shifted, she had great success in that new path that she took completely career change but every time she shifted and she went up and i think you know again one of those things where did i see it at the time absolutely not uh subsequently i've been very fortunate to look back at that and go wow I, you know i i really appreciated the just the almost just by example of the fact that she just changed and she got on with it she adapted and she succeeded um and you know and that was very very influential on me uh, including even now obviously in an era where we're very lucky that we get to talk very determinedly and openly about uh ed and i and inclusion and making sure things are much much more fairly balanced than they were historically speaking um you know and you know, I stepped back from being the MD three years ago, and we've got a fantastic female MD now. We've had a uh, female FD in our business. So there, there are these influences in my past that I think have, have definitely had very positive impact on me uh, that, that even to this day has a, has a huge impact and I'm very grateful for.
Yeah, I think there's a there's an interesting lesson there, isn't there? You talked about Dina at ICL. I've talked about how you influenced me starting out. Uh, I know that, you know, we don't set out to do that, but you should never underestimate the impact that just being kind, sharing your knowledge with other people really has on them. And I'm very grateful, you know, for, for your input and everybody else in the industry who's given freely of your time and experience to me. So an open thank you to everyone. And I hope it inspires some of our listeners to realize they can pay it for they can do that as well there's people within their business their community they can uh, take the same tact with so uh, yeah go out there and help people folks um i also want to ask mark where do you hang out to make sure you stay current on cybersecurity trends are there any resources you could recommend to our listeners perhaps well yeah i i kind of do um i i guess uh really the main one for me for for a number of years has been i'm gonna call it the old name twitter um Mm -hmm. so you know um x yeah i you know it's still twitter we're not gonna call it x anytime soon. it's still twitter um i you know that's really been a great source for me over the years and it continues to be it's yeah yeah it's probably changed a little bit in the last year but it continues to be a great source of knowledge for me i think these days uh you know actually the changes at twitter have caused me to broaden that a little bit and i spend a little more time in reddit these days i think i see some fantastic stuff going on there in in some of the forums really interesting insightful conversations taking place uh and then obviously just generally um you know obviously being so deep in the microsoft space i'm kind of very lucky to kind of have have access to certain uh forums and opportunities to just talk to people in the microsoft space and and keep keep my knowledge going really yeah, I think Twitter's a really interesting one. And Elon, we're not going to call it X anytime soon, so it's going to be Twitter to us. Uh, I know you're active on Twitter, about the same as I am. I've noticed the MSP influence on Twitter perhaps dropping off a little bit, but the MSSP and the cybersecurity influence really going up. And I think it's down to you know how quickly the responses can go through there, how you can have those instant communications with people. So yeah, for any listeners uh, on here who perhaps haven't looked at Twitter for a little while or given up on it, you know, if you want to learn more about the cybersecurity market, go and take a look at Twitter. There's a lot of really, really fascinating stuff going on there. And we'll include links in the show notes to uh, to Mark's Twitter handle, uh, as well as uh, my own and everything else. Mark, you are, remind me what your Twitter handle is. We only tweeted the other day. Oh, it's, it's, it's Chorus Mark. Chorus Mark, that was it. Yeah, so... Um, so Twitter, a great one for you still, as well as Reddit and other places. We'll include them all in the show notes. I've got to ask, you mentioned earlier on about your background as air traffic control, was it? Yeah, I've known you for a little while. We're not, you know, particularly <laughs> close, but holy cow, tell me more about that. I've never, never heard you mention that once before. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had classic, classic teenage years, really. I kind of grew up wanting to be a pilot. So, um, and and that, I kind of came fairly close to it as I reached the kind of towards the end of my teens, didn't quite pan out. And I was looking around, okay, well, what can I do as a bit of a gap filler? And somebody said to me, and I'd done a tiny little bit of work in IT at that point, worked for the NHS as a programmer. And then somebody said to me, oh, you know, I, I've seen the air traffic control recruiting um, and, and it's a really good foothold if you want to become a pilot. And I went, well, okay. So I went along I, as a phenomenal amount of testing, as you can imagine they do for air traffic control. I uh, did all that. I passed. I was selected and I I went down and I trained in Bournemouth for oof, three years, I think. Um, and then went on to be um, to work in air traffic control, not at Heathrow, but near Heathrow. It used to be a place called West Drayton. Um, it's now it's now down south on the south coast. Uh, and yeah, I looked after, I, I spent a little bit of time working, working the area out on the on the west coast of the UK and, and dealt with Concords and, and all kinds of interesting stuff in, in air traffic control for a few years. Didn't quite pan out over the long run. Um, and when I came back out, it was kind of like, okay, I'm really, really, I, I kind of feel like my confidence lies in the IT stuff. So I should probably go back there. Um, and I did. And obviously it was a fantastic choice for me. So yeah, I had this bizarre stint where I came out. So um, yeah, that's that's my that's my seven years in air traffic. <laughs> I, I've got to ask, did you ever see anything unusual in the skies when you were uh, doing the air traffic control? Anything you could speak oh. Only uh, yeah, well, you do sign it. You do sign the Official Secrets Act when you work yeah. as a traffic controller, and that's why I was so cautious. In that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, to be fair, it's probably there's probably more about um, you know they want things to come out in the way they want it to come out from a control point of view. To be honest, what what you did see is you know is is just that classic. Um, humans being humans, mistakes happen. You know, uh, fortunately in the UK we and and 
the surrounding European countries have got phenomenally well-trained staff. As I think I said, I think I trained for nearly three years before they let you anywhere near it. Mm. So they really, really train well. Um, so yeah, no, I think I, I I probably managed at least once to get a couple of planes closer than they should have been. Um, that's probably why I'm not in air traffic control now, to be perfectly honest with you. So um, no, it's um, it's a fantastic career and uh, very, very impressive people that I worked with when I was there. Well, we are glad that you chose a path in IT as opposed to air traffic control there, Mark. I, before we go as well, I've got to ask, on a friend level, MSP legends, Mark Taylor, and you are a legend in the MSP industry. What do you do in your spare time? Um, well, yeah, what is this spare time you speak of, for Uh No, I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm not as well behaved as I should be, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, I've alluded to the fact that really I've never quite let go of my interest in the uh, the flight side of things. So um, probably 10-ish years ago, I got my private pilot's license. Um didn't quite manage to find enough time to stay safe with that. So sadly had to give that up a few years ago. Um, and then and actually, I won't, I won't mention which one, but a couple of years ago, I passed a, a marker birthday event. I'll let you guess which one. And um, I was kind of sent to myself, okay, what, what am I going to do? I need to do something to kind of a little bit of a splurge on myself. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's a chap, chap called um, Richard Browning, who runs a company called Gravity Industries. And uh, he's the guy behind the jetpacks. So he oh. makes the turbine-based jetpacks. And I grew up on, on you know, things like Disney's The Rocketeer and, and that kind of stuff. And I was like, I just wonder. So I Googled it up. And sure enough, you could you could pay some money and you could go fly a jetpack. So uh, I went I went down to Goodwood to their base, uh, spent, spent a morning with them. And to be honest with you, just the absolute highlight of my life. Absolutely like a kid in the candy shop being back back in the movies. And uh, yeah, you get strapped into a jetpack attached attached to a rig so you don't go flying off into the sunset. And uh, yeah, you get to you get to fly around on a jetpack. So anything flight related for me is kind of like you can count me in. Um, you know, I I I definitely err towards the uh, the thrill seeking side of flight stuff. So yeah, that's oh wow. Well, we sh we share something in common there. I've done uh, small planes. I've done uh, gliders. I've done hot air balloons. Was an interesting nice. one. Nice. Um, but yeah, never done a jetpack. You're the first person I've spoken to. Who has. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's uh, quite highly a... <laughs> highly recommended. <laughs> oh, Mark, this has been an absolute thrill to catch up with you, my friend. You. you know, I've known you for it's got to be coming up to twenty years now, on and off. We've caught we catch up with each other now and again. Just so brilliant to see how you've thrived in this industry how not only that how you've given back uh, to the audience and again this podcast just another example of how you're giving back to the audience uh, to the audience the community as a whole so thank you for everything you've done mark appreciate it and continue to do there's going to be lots of people listening to this who's perhaps their first introduction uh, to the legend that is Mark Taylor. So if anybody listening wants to continue the conversation with you or find out more about perhaps how their MSP could partner with Chorus on security, how can they find you online? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in all the usual places. We've talked about Twitter. Obviously, LinkedIn's another good one. It is probably worth saying, because obviously we had a good talk about TD Synex. We know that's not some kind of restriction on our services. We we will work directly with partners in the UK or anywhere else for that matter. That's not that's not a function of our, our offering with partners. So, um, yeah, no, I, like I said, the usual places really, LinkedIn, Twitter, happy to talk to anyone always happy to answer questions and i do hang out at quite a lot of the events as you say i'm notorious there i'm usually one again as you can't get to shut up so uh always happy to talk to people and uh, share experiences well mark 20 odd years ago when i first asked you for advice on what it was like to become a managed service provider i'm really glad that you didn't shut up there my friend so uh, <laughs> thank you it's put me on a, on a on a specific path and i'm very very grateful for it mark this has been a real pleasure thanks so much for your time today Thank you, Richard. Love this chat to you. Hey, folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Mm -hmm. 
Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.